Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. Today we have Kathy Peters, David Peters, and Brian Zahn on the show. Keith Giles reached out to me and connected me with David, who is the director of a great new documentary that is premiering on January 21st. This documentary is based on Brian's book, Postcards from Babylon, and it lines up perfectly with what we were doing with the Bad Roman Project. So I'm really excited to have David, Brian, and Kathy on the show to tell us more about this documentary. Kathy, why don't you go ahead and give us a little background yourself. Tell us uh, anything you want us to know about you, and then we'll go to David and then Brian. Thanks, Craig. Um, yeah, I'm a, I have a degree in speech education. I was a high school and then an elementary school teacher for a long time and married David almost 40 years ago. And uh, David has been a filmmaker since, I think, the womb. And um, <laughs> he is, that, is, that is his identity. And um, the, I kind of caught the bug, I guess. He asked me a number of years ago to join him in the business that we've created together, Global Story Films. And together, we travel around the world and tell stories of things that we feel are really close to God's heart. And um, it's been quite quite the journey. I've been able to use a lot of my training in uh, doing a lot of voiceover and writing, script writing. So it's it's a real joy to be involved. I think probably my favorite part of what I do is to, with David behind me with the camera, I sit and face people who have stories to tell about what they're doing in the world, and I get to interview them. And I, hands down, that's my absolute favorite thing to do. And uh, the world loves stories, hence the name Global Story Films. We just feel that we've both been called to tell the story of what, of what God's doing in the world. So this particular project, um, a number of years ago, David can actually tell the story of how we totally connected with Brian, but we started listening to his sermon podcasts and found that we had very much a sense of resonance between the two of us about what Brian was teaching, a lot of it was kind of out of the box for us, but we decided that uh, this would be something that we could share in our spiritual journey. And oftentimes we would listen separately at the gym and then listen or talk with each other on the way home about what we had learned. And um, that has led us to this particular project, Postcards from Babylon, the church in American exile. So I am the producer of the film. David is the director, and uh, we're really excited about what's going to happen in a couple of weeks in terms of the premiere. I love that. And what you were talking about, just be, being able to interview these people, it's one thing, and there's so much about our project that I'm that I'm pleased with, but one of my favorites also is being able to talk to people and listen to their journey and, and how they got to where they are now, trying to get away from being entangled with the state. And that sometimes it gets a little emotional. I've seen that as well. It's, so it's pretty cool to, to be a part of all that. And you mentioned Brian and y'all listening to him. I, I binged on a lot of his stuff getting ready for this, uh, this episode. I'd heard him before some, but a lot of what he says is, is really is, resonates with me now. Had I listened to him 
10 years ago, I probably have been kicking and screaming and mad about what he was saying, but getting away from that stuff has been pretty cool and listen to what he has to say. I love, we have a lot of people that's going to listen to this that are excited about it. David, why don't you go ahead and follow up with, with what Kathy was saying? Yeah. Um, like she said, it was not quite from the womb, but, but pretty close, I suppose. I picked up a camera in grade school and uh, still camera and got into that. And then in high school, started making movies with my dad's Super 8 camera and went to college, got a bachelor's and master's in cinema communications and set off to change the world as all filmmakers think they can do. So yeah, I've mostly worked for other people. Um, I was a media pastor at three different churches for about 16, 17 years altogether. Um, in 2008, during um, a time when I was really thinking through and asking questions about virtually everything I believed in at the time, I found that the church I was in didn't feel I was safe for them anymore. And so I was um, asked to leave rather abruptly. And my spiritual journey continued and I've, you know, I've been doing film work my whole career. And so I thought, well, this is a time, I guess, to launch off on my own. My original intention out of college was to be an independent filmmaker. So now at uh, 53, 54, I guess it was time to do that. So in 2011, um, we basically sold everything, sold our house, downsized. In fact, we lived with friends for 10 months so we could have like zero overhead to launch our business. And Kathy joined me. And it was really tough in the beginning. But part of our own spiritual journey was just realizing God's heart for the poor. We, we both read Richard Stern's book, The Whole in Our Gospel, probably a decade ago. And it really rocked our worlds. And so, as Kathy mentioned, we wanted to set off to tell stories about what, what people were doing on the margins of the world to serve those that um, are closest to the heart of God and those that's the, the poor and the marginalized. And uh, we were told you can't make a living doing that. People that that realm have no money. But we thought, well, we'll <laughs> figure out a way. And, you know, fortunately, in the last you know, decade with social media, more and more people are investing and in realizing the importance of stories and, and media clips on their websites and, and social media. So we kind of hit it at a right time when organizations, even small ones, were learning they need to invest in storytelling. So we've done a lot of work for local um, faith-based nonprofit organizations. We kind of are known for that in our community. So we do stuff for local shelters and food banks and um, a, we just did a series of films for an organization that, um, serves the, uh, disabled community in our area. We've been doing virtual banquets. We've done four large virtual banquet productions since COVID happened. These people need to raise money and there was no mechanism for that because they couldn't meet. So, yeah, so we started making short films as well as long form documentaries. And it was about 2015 when I first heard about Brian. A friend of mine who knew Brian had a manuscript of A Farewell to Mars. And he said, Dave, you want to read this? And I devoured it and got Brian's email. And he was gracious enough to spend an hour or so talking with me on the phone. And, and I just told him how much I resonated with it. And then, as Kathy mentioned, we've, we've been listening to his podcasts and you know being challenged by his perspectives and I've been reading his books. And then in, um, in 2019, when, when Postcards from Babylon came out, you know, he promoted it as a self-published book. And so as soon as it came out, I, I ordered a copy and read it and was just very moved when I got toward the end when Brian said that 
during this time, he wanted to write something so someday he could tell his grandkids that during this time, I spoke up. And for whoever wanted to listen, I shared a prophetic perspective that um, he felt God was giving him. And so I said, yes, I want to join that. So we reached out to Brian and um, talked about the project. He seemed open, you know, because he really didn't know much about us. And we were asking basically to do a film based on his book title. So it was going to be connected to him. And, you know, I think he took a risk with us. And as I found out later, part of how he vetted us was he invited us to come on the Camino. He and Perry were going to walk it all, all 40 days, 568 miles. How many, how far is it, Brian? 500 miles. Yeah. 500 miles. Um, so we flew out to, to Spain and <laughs> caught up with them. They were kind of telling us where they were. And we spent basically five days with them on the Camino and did a lot of the filming. And, and it seemed like as we thought about that from just a filmmaking perspective to use the Camino as somewhat of a frame for the, for the film. And as it turned out, it kind of sets things up in the beginning and we kind of returned to the Camino at the very end. Um, so it really fits, I think, the prophetic motif of Brian as this um, prophet in the wilderness speaking truth. Um, to us as an American church. But again, this, this message, it extends to all churches and all nations and all empires. And, um, and we're starting to, we had, both Brian and I have been approached from someone from Bulgaria about this film that wants to translate his book and translate the film. It's, it's um, got, I think, a wide appeal. And certainly in the, you know, the last four years, I think its message has become more important and for me personally, since the election, uh, since November till now, it's become even more important. And the term Christian nationalism, which is really the core of what our film is about, is trending and for good reason. And we feel that this place, this film is kind of at the right time, uh, right time, right place. Yeah, I think it's perfect timing, especially with the, the inauguration coming up as well for the new president. I, and I love I love everything about this. I saw it some with Obama, but it, it has become so much more with, with Trump. And just it's, seen, it's not so much a support of a politician. It's turned into almost like a worship type of, of this guy. And, I, and it's one thing that really spurred our project. Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a I'm a Jesus freak that's all grown up. <laughs> I uh, I encountered Jesus as a teenager. Overnight, was transformed from the high school Led Zeppelin freak to the high school Jesus freak. Um, I was leading a ministry by the time I was 17, that turned into our church by the time I was 22. So I, I've officially been pastoring for 39 years. Unofficially, it's more like uh, 44 years. So <laughs> I've been a pastor longer than I've been an adult. All right. Let's put it that way, uh, which is not necessarily a pattern to follow, but it's what happened. So I'm the pastor of Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. Uh, my wife and I have three adult sons. And so we have seven, soon to be eight grandchildren. They live, you know, five minutes from us and across the street from one another. And that's a great joy. Uh, over the last, let's see, since 2009, I've written nine books. 
So a lot of my time is given to writing these days. Seems to be that this is a good stage of life for me to do that. And so up until COVID anyway, I kind of had more three hats. I was lead pastor of the church I founded, uh, an author, and I travel and speak considerably. And I guess now we can add Camino Walker, too. <laughs> I've walked the Camino three times now. So so that's a big, important part of my life. That's great. Now, well, let's get into the documentary, and I'll, I'll get everybody's perspective on it. Since I've got you right now, Brian, the, the, the trailer really fired me up, and I'm really excited to see this. In the trailer, you mentioned that America is not a kind of biblical Israel, but a kind of biblical Babylon. And this is such an important point to make. I used to hold the view that you can see America in the Bible and God created America to protect Israel. And it was okay what we were doing in the Middle East by protecting Israel, by killing other people, because that's what God wanted us to do. That's what God did. He created America just for that reasoning. And now that I have a different understanding, trying to explain that point of view to people that hold that view that I used to hold, they look at me cross-eyed and just think I'm crazy. So where do you think this comes from? Because it's not taught in the Bible. No. But, I mean, it's pervasive in dispensational eschatology. Let's say it this way. From late great planet Earth onward, uh, this is just has been seeping into our society. And it's just part of the wider culture that we think that um, there's this kind of end time scenario that's laid out in the Bible, which is not. It's something concocted from a few disparate verses scattered throughout the entire text, and you come up with this thing. But before I go into that, I want to I want to mention this before I forget it. Right before we began recording this podcast, I got an email from a man that I had met on the Camino in 2019, the same one that David and Kathy joined us with for a few days in film. And he's an agnostic. We had several interesting conversations. I really like him and his wife, Sarah. They live in Nashville. And out of the blue, I got an email from him that he had read postcards from Babylon and loved it. <laughs> and, and was basically saying, um, you know, I'm not a Christian, but if I were, I'd be your kind of Christian. <laughs> wow, right but, then, but then raised questions about how do we really know God? And uh, so, I, so, I, so I composed a reply. And basically my next book, I've already written it. IVP will bring it out later this year, deals with that. But that's, that's we're getting off the subject here. I just wanted to mention that someone I had met on the Camino had just read postcards from Babylon and sent me an email, and I, and I immediately said, well, you know, there's a documentary coming out. And I sent him and all that, and um, I have no doubt that, that he and Sarah will be watching that. If for no other reason, they want to see those scenes from the Camino. Nice. <laughs> well, if he's, if he's in Nashville, tell him that I'm in Memphis, and if he's ever in the Memphis area, to, to look me up, and we'll go have a cup of coffee. All right. Yeah, he's, good guy. he's a retired professor. Uh literature professor. So we, we talked books a lot at first, and then it kind of eventually moved into talking about Jesus and God and religion and faith and things like that. Yeah, I, but I do. I think, I think especially in the conservative American evangelical church, the shift needs to be made from seeing 
America through a template of, oh, we're kind of a biblical Israel. No, we're a kind of biblical Babylon. And I use the word biblical because I'm talking about Israel as depicted in the text. With the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a new theological approach to it. We say it this way, that in Christ, and this is pure Pauline theology, in Christ, the chosen people is the human race, and the Holy Land is the whole earth, and Jesus Christ is Lord over it all. Um, but people get stuck in a certain paradigm that, okay, we're kind of like Israel. No, we're kind of like Babylon. We're an empire. And by empire, I mean empires are rich, powerful nations who believe they have a divine right to rule other nations and a manifest destiny to shape history according to their agenda. This is something that is consistently critiqued in the Bible relentlessly from Genesis to Revelation, although often we're, we've learned how to screen those texts out. But one of the most helpful things we can do is understand that what empires claim for themselves is what God has promised to his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who has a divine right to rule the nations. Jesus is the one who has a manifest destiny to shape history according to his agenda. What America is, is simply the latest in a long line. If you don't like the word empires, you can say superpowers. And it's just the latest in a long line of superpowers. That is the most dominant military and economic might on earth. And these nations generally become haughty and suppose that they have some sort of divine right or divine blessing. This is nothing new. I mean, prior, I mean, we can go through, we can just live, limit to Christian history. There was, you know, um, the Byzantine Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, Russia did it, Germany had a very bad experience with it, Great Britain did it, now it's the United States that's doing it, and it always creates a crisis of fidelity within the church. We end up with divided allegiances and loyalties. I think nothing typifies this in a, in a more stark and glaring way than, and I know you've all seen it, uh, when you encounter a church somewhere that that wants to have flags out on their front lawn, but they've only got one flag pole. And so they've got their American flag and they've got their so-called Christian flag. And how do they fly them? It's always American flag on top and then the subordinate position is the Christian flag. Well, flags don't serve any utilitarian purpose. They're pure symbol. What is the symbolism? What's it saying? It's saying our primary, our foremost allegiance is to America, and then our secondary allegiance is to Christ. Now, they wouldn't say it that way, but what are, what are they communicating? What are they telegraphing? with their? It's, it's a moment of unintended, unintended truth-telling is what's happening on those church lawns. And uh, the reason they're able to do that and not suffer massive cognitive dissonance is that they presume that there's never any conflict between the American agenda and what Jesus Christ is trying to accomplish. But I think you know, that is something that's just sheer foolishness. So, so the book deals with that. The documentary, I love the documentary. It's, it's got a lot of my friends in it. I mean, some of them are my friends and then some people I haven't yet met. Um, I was really glad that we were able to get Walter Brueggemann. We, we, we had numerous attempts to go visit him. He, he, he wrote the foreword. He's, you know, by all accounts, the, probably the, the premier Old Testament Christian scholar in the world. And he wrote the foreword to Postcards, and he's become something of a friend. And it was, I was just delighted to have him 
to agree to participate in the documentary. And first there was a snowstorm that hit and we couldn't go. And then there was COVID that hit and we couldn't go. We'd scheduled time and then COVID didn't go away and we couldn't go. And uh, so we ended up having to do it via Zoom, which was a <laughs> which was an adventure all of its own, getting Walter Brueggemann on Zoom. But we did it, even, <laughs> if, he had, even if he had to sit on a concordance. <laughs> Oh, don't give it away, Brian. Okay. I'll... Yeah, we, we kind of, you know, in the film, we, since COVID impacted how it was produced, we kind of wove that into the story. And certainly our interview with, with Walter, um, we kind of used that as a setup. And I almost missed that interview. You know, we had the two mishaps, one with weather and then one with COVID. He's in Michigan. I thought Michigan was on central time. So oh, yeah, I'm actually I shooting um, a local Trump rally, thinking, okay, I have plenty of time to get home. And I get home, and it's about 40 minutes before the call was supposed to start. And he's texting me. And, you know, we don't know each other. And so he was rightfully kind of put out that, you know, we had <laughs> um, held him up. But then once you got on the phone, he, he was awesome. I mean, we had a great, great time with him. David, I can say this. Walter likes me. He does. I don't deserve it, but he likes me. And so <laughs> when I showed up, he, he got in a better mood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he did. Because he wasn't in the best mood with me. You're just some filmmaker he didn't know. So, <laughs> Right. Right. That's great. Well, I'm kind of curious, too. One thing that I've learned that, I've, that I'm still trying to study on my, my own is, is the, the how the early church responded to government. And... Because I, once I started kind of breaking away from it and understanding that my faith in Christ has nothing to do with politics. Okay, now, but you can see the two intertwined, but I was always kind of confused how the two got so entangled with each other, to use the, the phrase from Keith Giles. How did that happen? And then you see it kind of leading up, and we've had Keith on the show and had Bruxy Cavey on the show, and we talk about this stuff, but you see it leading up to Constantine, and it just, that's how kind of the shift happened and it's, it seems like it's just gotten worse over time. Do you think that's a correct assessment? Or Yeah, it's gotten worse in the American context. Uh, but this has been a phenomenon that has re been repeated over and over and over. Uh, the first foray into this was just as you alluded to. It's when the Emperor Constantine became something of a Christian. I mean... The story, the way it's told is, you know, there was the, another civil war within Rome going on, two generals contending for uh, the title of Caesar, and there was a decisive battle, the Battle of the Milvian Bridge in the year 312. And as the story is told, I think it's probably a later legendary imposition upon the story, is that Constantine, who, by the way, had a Christian mother, I mean, she was she was a real Christian, but he had a pagan father who was a general. I think he always lived in the tension of his Christian mother and his pagan father. But anyway, as the story is told, he saw a sign in the heavens, a sign of the cross, with these words, in this sign you shall conquer. And he applied the Christian symbol of the cross to the weapons of war. Of course, the problem is, in this sign you shall conquer. I mean, conquer is a euphemism for kill. And so now the cross became a symbol of killing, not of self-sacrificing love. We have something of a Christian emperor. We have an emperor anyway who is friendly towards Christians. But this creates a crisis uh, because 
all along, prior to Constantine for three centuries, when the church confessed that Jesus is Lord, they meant it. They meant it in every sense of the word, and they regarded their baptism as that which made them strangers and aliens and exiles in this world, that their true citizenship belonged to the heavenly kingdom of Christ that was coming into the earth, but Jesus himself was the Lord and the king of this, and that's the only one they pledged their allegiance to. Now things began to be muddied, and they were confused. I don't think it was a mistake they could have avoided, in the fourth century. I think it was an inevitable mistake, but now they think, well, we have a Christian emperor. Everything will be wonderful. Uh, But what happens is Jesus isn't really Lord anymore. He gets demoted to the secretary of afterlife affairs. And so Jesus' job is to get us into heaven when we die. And now we've got to have our emperor to rule the world and to run the world. And that that puts Western European Christendom on a trajectory that in about whatever it is, 1,600 years, 1,700 years, would lead to the catastrophe of the two world wars in Europe where millions upon millions of Christians killed one another in the name of their national allegiance. So that's really kind of where it began, and it's a, it's a, I don't know what word to use, it's a heresy, it's a delusion, it's a deception that has never quite gone away, it just sort of mutates. I alluded earlier, it's, you know, you can study the history of what, Russia, Germany, Byzantium, Spain, uh, Great Britain. They've all had their experiences with that. And, it, and the common denominator is, is it compromises the, the witness of the church unto our true Lord, who is Jesus Christ. And so, I mean, look in the American context at this very moment. I mean, I, how can you, how can we not see that that American evangelical support of Donald Trump has compromised their witness to the extent that it may never recover. <laughs> Thank you. I've been trying to get that across to people, especially lately, and talking to Christians because, and I've mentioned to them, I said, listen, you'd understand that there might be somebody that's coming to try and, and learn more about Jesus Christ, but they're seeing you so in, in, involved and so entrusted uh, and so in, basically is worshiping Donald Trump, who everything that comes out of his mouth is contrary to the teachings of Christ. All of his actions are contrary to the teachings of Christ. And I, you could end up being a, a stumbling block to somebody who wants to learn more about Jesus. And it confuses them because they, they, they have this idea that America is a Christian nation. That's baloney. I, I just, I'm looking here at my texts. I just got a text from, uh, I don't know if you know Brad Jerzak. He's a Canadian theologian. He's one of my friends. He's friends with Keith Giles. But anyway, he just sent me this quote with kind of a gif, and it says, uh, I'm not saying Trump is the Antichrist. I'm saying Christ is the anti-Trump. <laughs> I mean, that pretty much nails it, doesn't it? Hey, folks. Craig here, and I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman, 
and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. So, David, I wanted to ask you, and I was going to ask uh, Kathy as well, but what was y'all's motivation to do this documentary? Was it something that about Brian's book, or was it something that y'all had been witnessing on your own? Yeah, it was certainly, for me, a combination, because um, I, I had been in a, a long process as it related, um, especially to Christianity and militarism. Um, we don't really go into that in the trailer, but they're, to me, probably the most powerful part of the film is where we look at uh, militarism from a Christian lens. And I had been exposed to Greg Boyd years ago. Um, I read his book, The Myth of a Christian Nation. And both Kathy and I had been increasingly troubled by what was going on with, um, you know, U.S. interventions globally um, in the military perspective and just the the inefficiency of these asymmetrical wars that we were fighting. Um, but yeah, it was just a combination of watching what, hap- what had been going on in evangelicalism for a number of years. I mean, I grew up as a very conservative evangelical Christian. My dad started Christian Heritage College with uh, Dr. Tim LaHaye. My dad and Tim LaHaye were very close friends. They knew Jerry Falwell. Um, I read all the Left Behind books. I mean, I, I was in that world uh, hook, line, and sinker. But starting around 2000, 2008, 2009, all, I started to question all of those things. In fact, one of the major, uh, I read Shane Claiborne's book in 2007. Uh, he wrote uh, the book, um, Jesus for President. And actually, I was a pastor at a church that time. And Brian mentioned earlier about the flagpole. Uh, well, I came to church one day after reading the book, and I looked up and I saw the Christian flag under the American flag and and thought, this just doesn't seem right. So I lowered them, <laughs> and I switched them, and I put them back up. And I literally, I was like panicking. I thought, I'm going to get arrested. This is horrible. You know, what am I doing? And I was trying to understand these emotions. Like, I shouldn't feel bad about this. I thought Jesus is Lord meant something. <laughs> so I went into my office, and... I went and got someone and one of the other pastors said, hey, did you notice the way the flags are? And he was like, well, they shouldn't be like that. They're supposed to be the other way. And I said, well, I changed it. And they were like, what? why did you do that? I said, well, I just, it just seemed like they should be the other way around, doesn't it? He's a rebel. Yeah. Well, it reminds me, I spent a lot of time in, in Southern Baptist churches, and it reminds me, being in these churches and seeing the United States flag on the stage, I don't remember ever having a Christian flag. Maybe there was a Christian flag in one of the churches, but there was one service we were doing. We stood up and and saluted all the troops, and we did the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States flag. And at the time, it seemed very normal to me. I didn't see anything wrong with it. And, but now you look back on it, it's just not the way any of this was supposed to be going down. And go, Kathy, do you have anything you want to add to that? Or I think for me personally, I feel like we as ambassadors of Jesus in the world that we live in, we have such um, limited ability to share the, the good news of the gospel. And we need to be so careful about how we conduct ourselves in, in the public space, in the political space, because the world is watching us. And if we give mixed messages about 
what it means to be a, a, a true follower of Jesus. And the world looks at it at us and says, now, wait a minute, you say this, but you're doing this or you're acting like this, then we lose the ability to be that salt and light. And I think we as Christians have totally compromised ourselves in the political realm. And that's why I think the, the message of this film and Brian's book is so vitally important. If we don't pull ourselves up short and say, okay, so what am I portraying to a, a world that's looking at me for an example of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus? If my messages are mixed, they see me saying one thing and acting a different way, then I've lost my ability to share my message. And the, I think the church in America needs to be, I guess, called to account in terms of how we conduct ourselves. I couldn't agree more with that. That is that is perfect. And and that's what I was saying earlier. I said we could we, we could have a tendency to be a stumbling block to somebody who's trying to come to Jesus. And because if they're not seeing any kind of consistency in our message, they're going to push it aside immediately. I would. I'm a big, I, I have a hard time listening to anybody that's not going to be consistent in a message. If you're telling me about the teachings of Jesus Christ and then you're entangling it with the, the teachings of the state, they don't mesh. It's like oil and water. They're not going to mix well and it's going to look like you have a mixed message like you were just saying. Brian, did you want to add anything to that? I mean, I think about the recurring line that you will hear from nearly every president from Abraham Lincoln onward, that America is the last best hope of earth. And you hear that in from both parties in political rhetoric repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Christians need to say, well, hold on here a minute. I don't believe that. I believe that Jesus Christ as the savior of the world, is not only the last, but the only best hope for earth. And we simply don't need to find a way to mix Americanism with Christian faith. America is what America is. It's, it's the latest in a long line of empires. It may be a gentler, kindler empire. Maybe, maybe not. But that's beside the point. Our true citizenship belongs to the kingdom of Christ, and that's why we have to learn to live as exiles. This is why Peter, in his uh, two epistles to the Christians in the eastern provinces of the Roman Empire, refers to them as exiles. They weren't literal exiles. Like, you know, for example, when the Jewish people in 587 BC were deported to Babylon, they became literal exiles. These people that Peter calls exiles because of their Christian faith aren't, you know, they, ha they haven't been deported from somewhere. They've grown up in the Roman Empire, but by virtue of their baptism, they have suddenly become exiles. And so they have to learn to live as someone who lives within this particular geopolitical reality, but doesn't truly belong to it because they belong to another kingdom, another ordering of human society built around Jesus Christ. And so one of the things I'm attempting to do in the book is to call Christians to a truly counter-cultural presence in America. I mean, I don't think that it's I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's possible at all to be faithful to Christ without being somewhat counter-cultural. We're not going to fit well. So 
that's that's the nature of discipleship, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it kind of ties into what some things both Kathy and Brian have said about you know those looking on, those watching the church. Um, and when we were on the Camino, we sat Brian down well, two or three different times, and of course along the way we were interviewing him. But when I asked him to kind of pitch the film to an audience, he started with saying how important a film like this is for those that are looking in, those who don't, who aren't followers of Jesus. They need to understand that there are people on the inside that are speaking out, that are our prophetic voices critiquing this activity. And I thought, well, I won't, I don't want to use that. I mean, we want to focus. <laughs> I didn't even think about that necessarily. But then the more I thought about it, that's exactly what I feel I would like this film to do is for people that are, are looking in at Christianity, just like this, this friend you were mentioning that you guys met on the Camino, Brian, there are people that are watching and they're resonating. And um, we use uh, Daniel Diedrich's song, Hymn for the 81% um, in its entirety in the film, uh, where he basically critiques um, from a prophetic musical perspective, what's going on in evangelicalism. And he had over 5,000 people comment with like 900,000 views of that, of that uh, video, his music video. And many of them were atheists and you know, self-identified atheists and agnostics that said, thank you. In fact, one said, I'm an atheist, but I'm in tears listening to your song. So it's like there's people out there that I, I think want to believe that Christianity can be beautiful. And when they're when they see someone speaking out and saying, no, this isn't the beautiful way of Jesus, it resonates with people that have, that aren't um, part of God's kingdom, at least in how we would define them. But then I'm starting to understand that maybe God's, God's reach and the reach of Jesus and who's kind of in and who's out is really in the process of being redefined. And Jesus seemed to indicate that in his teaching that those that thought they were in were really on the outside. Um, so much to learn right now. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what I referred to earlier. We're just, just immediately prior to uh, getting on this podcast. Here was a, an email, a very lengthy email, in fact, from a thoughtful man who describes himself as an agnostic, who, though, is now willing to engage in a discussion of Christian faith with me, and it, and it said, if I were ever to be a Christian, I'd be the kind of Christian you are. Okay, my point is, I'll give you his first name. I won't use his whole name, but his first name is Evan, this man that I met on the Camino. If he thought the only version of Christianity, or if the, let's say it this way, if the only expression of Christian faith he saw was that which is nothing more than the religious wing of the Republican Party, he would, there would be no way he would be even considering anything pertaining to Christ. But he's seen something else, and he says, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe we can talk about this further. And so that's why I say I think right now the future of the white evangelical church in America is um, it can maybe try to maintain its own base, but I think it's made itself largely odious to the wider culture. A movement that has in its very name the word evangel, the, you know, the, the proclamation of the good news. I think they have, whether they realize it or not, they've made evangelism over the next few decades almost an impossibility. They're just not going to have an audience. 
So that it's incumbent upon some of us to offer something else. That is a Christian faith that is not captive to a particular political partisan position. And of course, when I critique what I see evangelicals doing in the name of the Republican Party, the knee-jerk reaction is often just to call me a Democrat. (laughs) If I'm a Democrat, the Democrats are in trouble because I'm just not. (laughs) I'm just not. So I'm not right. I'm not left. I'm not elephant. I'm not donkey. I'm really trying to be faithful to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that goes both ways. I mean, I I caught that a lot from Trump supporters trying to explain my position that, that I'd be called a liberal. I'm no, nowhere near liberal. And it, and it happened vice versa. Like when I was, when I would talk to the left, then I was some kind of racist on the right. It was just really weird how I didn't fit either one of their, their sides. So they were trying to label me yeah. in a way to try to make themselves feel better. I guess I wanted, uh, there was something that was mentioned. I don't know the guy's name that was in the documentary, but he, he said when he was talking about the early church, I love talking about the early church, but he said when they said Jesus is Lord, that meant Caesar is not. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of, a, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Benji Graves, but he's a, a pastor out of Morrison, Idaho. We had him on the show and he was telling a story about, he was with a friend at, I guess it's a county fair or something. They were talking to a kid and his friend said, no king but Christ. How do you feel about that? <laughs> and the kid was like, yeah, that sounds great. And then he said, and Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was all very innocent, of course, you know, but he, he had to learn that from somewhere. Yeah. He heard that from somewhere. And I think that's where we, we're having a trouble here is is this is being taught to our children as well. Yeah. And when, when you think about it, um, and you talked about this earlier, you know, if anyone um, should seemingly raise all kinds of questions about their identity as as a Christian, um, it would be Donald Trump. I mean, reflecting virtually no, um, in fact, he would be, as, as, as Brian said, kind of the, the anti of anything related to the fruit of the spirit. The um, living embodiment of the anti-beatitudes. <laughs> the anti-beatitudes, yeah. <laughs> um, and yet, here, you know, if it had it been Ronald Reagan that had been enshrined like Donald Trump, which in some ways he was, I guess it would be a little more understandable. But how, and we explore this in the film, how someone like like Donald Trump, when conservative evangelicals have been the, the party of character matters, to totally abdicate that. And, and Pete Weiner, who's in our film, goes into that in detail, how just, you know, it's, it's okay, you can, you can like his policies, and his Supreme Court appointments or his judicial appointments, but you still have to speak truth to power. And when someone is is behaving the way he is, and as Christian leaders, you're turning the other way, that is demonstrably going to hit and, and hinder the witness of Christ. Um, so yeah, that's where I, I just feel, because I was told early on among the Christian friends, well, just, you know, watch and keep an eye on Donald Trump. You know, we're going to give him a, give him a chance. And I, I just still don't get it. And, and it just perplexes me in a, in a way that I, well, I made a film about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote a book about it. <laughs> there was a question on the, on the trailer. It says, how does the church stay faithful to the beautiful way of Jesus while situated in one of the most divisive political climates in our nation's history. 
I don't see any way that it can. Do you think there's a way through politics that we can get back to the teachings of Jesus? That's <laughs> a really good question, Craig. It seems like an impossibility. As Brian said a couple of minutes ago, you know, maybe for the next 10 years, we've kind of blown it. So that's, I guess that's the ultimate question is, okay, so if we look at where we are right now, what can we do to shift the pendulum back in the opposite direction? That's the ultimate question. And it's a question that we need to ask of ourselves individually and of our local churches, of how our local churches are positioning themselves and serving in our communities, and then at the, as, as the church as a whole. But it's going to take some time to repair the damage. But I, if we don't ask the question, what can I do personally and what can we do corporately, then this film will have not made its point. So hopefully we'll be able to get that process started in the individual hearts of those of those that view it to start asking questions, what do I need to do personally to change and corporately? Yeah, I would just say that the church is an alternative politics, but we're simply called to embody it, not to enforce it. We're not called to change the world directly. When we use that kind of language, we've got to change the world, well, we end up being too tempted to grapple for Caesar's sword and so that we can use the means of coercion to make the world live like we think they ought to live. None of that is according to the way of the cross. What the church really is or is to be is that part of the world already changed by Jesus Christ. So instead of trying to change the world, we simply embody the change that Christ brings. And we don't have any coercion. What we have is the possibility to persuade or attract. Uh, but the kingdom of God is without coercion. We persuade by spirit, witness, reason, rhetoric, if need be martyrdom, but never by force. And I think what's happened is we have become so fascinated by the ring of power, you know, one ring to rule them all. If you, you know, know Tolkien's story, what you discover is that no one is capable of wielding the ring of power without being corrupted by it. Even Frodo, this innocent hobbit, you know, in the end couldn't let go of it and fate had to intervene. So I think the church needs to decide whether it's going to pursue the ring of power, or we could say Caesar's sword, if you want to say it that way, or whether we're going to take up the cross uh, and follow in a way of self-denial, co-suffering love. Um, so the church has a politics, but it's the politics of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the politics of Jesus. It's the kingdom of God. And we're not interested in forcing that upon the wider world. Rather, we simply want to embody it and attract, attract people to it. That's, that's how we evangelize. David? Yeah, I, I remember something Brian said in one of his sermons. This came to my mind, and he was talking about cable news. And he, he said, for every half hour you are listening to cable news, you should spend an hour in prayer and contemplation. Um, because we're, we're just inundated now and, and we're being discipled by news agencies. And that could be whether it be CNN or Fox News or 
further extremes on both left and right. And we tend to, of course, listen to those things that confirm our biases. Because both Kathy and I, I mean, we grew up, you know, when Rush Limbaugh hit the air, we were listening, Sean Hannity, um, Glenn Beck. Um, it was probably about 12, 13 years ago that both of us, as we listened to what was animating them, not necessarily just what they said, but the spirit behind it, we just both felt that's not the spirit of Christ. And maybe we agree with some of their politic, but we need to step away from what's animating that because it's impacting our spirit because that's the spirit. And I think this is also something I've learned from Brian. In fact, I know it is that there's a spirit of advocacy. That's the spirit of Christ. And the spirit of accusation comes from the Satan. Um, so if look at what's going on, is it advocacy? Well, that's coming from Jesus. Is it accusation? That's coming from our, our adversary. And I think that's where, as Christians, we have often, you know, we are the accusers. We're always pointing the fingers. And we rarely will look at our own. In fact, for me personally, that's why I left being part of any party. Because I feel like if, if I had committed to a party polit or just to be a, a member of the Republican Party or Democrat, it would almost automatically make me have a bias toward defending my people. And like Brian, I, I feel like I needed to, certainly I'm involved in politics, I'm, I'm informed about it, and this film is dealing with it, I, I vote. But to be part of a party politic, to me, was convoluting my ability to maybe hear from, from Jesus and from a way of political perspective that's informed by the Beatitudes. It's good stuff. Really good stuff. But I'm going to let y'all plug something. I want, to, I want to mention something about a fundraiser we're doing for the documentary before I let y'all go. And Keith Giles, if you're listening to this, I really appreciate you connecting me with David. And then David connected me with Brian and Kathy. This has been a, a cool conversation. And, and the, our listeners are really going to get enjoy this. And they're probably going to get quite a few people watch the documentary. I do have a question about the documentary. I know there's going to be a, a live Zoom call afterwards on, on the premiere. Is that something that's going to be we can watch later as well, or is it just that night of the, the, the premiere? Because, unfortunately, I'm going to be at work that night when it premieres, so I'm going to have to watch it later, probably that weekend. And I was just curious if that Zoom call was going to be part of it at the end or, or not. Yeah, yeah. The Zoom call, we're actually recording on January 13th. Um, the idea of doing it live just terrified me to have – you know, people, look what happened today. You know, you, there's always something that goes wrong. Um, plus, one unique thing about the person that's helping us with this, Jared Giese, who actually follows Brian, he heard about the film and contacted us and is giving us an enormous discount on this incredible interface he's created for what he calls a global streaming premiere. And again, this has all happened during COVID as out of necessity. So it'll basically roll out in every time zone, starting in New Zealand at 7 p.m. So over a 24-hour period, it'll be playing in each time zone at the same time. And of course, everything has to be pre-recorded, so we can do that. Um, so yes, you'll be able to watch it. Um, I think it's for like a week afterwards, you'll be able to watch it as many times as you want. It'll be out on DVD. Uh, we'll be looking at... Um, you know, Amazon Prime, definitely. We have several of our films on Amazon. Um, and 
Netflix would be awesome. And we, we did sell one of our films a few years back to Netflix. They're not buying a whole lot right now. This may be a film that would interest them. It's not your typical Christian documentary. Um, so we are hoping that they might might take a look at it. Um, so yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll, we'll be pursuing you know multiple options for for getting it out there, but but ultimately, you know, within a few weeks, it'll be available on DVD and then other streaming services. Well, we've mentioned COVID some through the through this episode, and what we've noticed with the COVID, with the lockdowns, and people losing hours at work or even losing their jobs because of it people have really struggled financially and the, the, the idea of maybe spending $15 for a ticket to watch this documentary may seem kind of daunting to folks, but we're doing the bad Roma. We're going to put up enough money to buy seven tickets for anybody that wants to watch this. Just you can send us your email address at the bad Roman uh, podcast at gmail.com or reach out through our website, the And we will, as long as there's money, we'll buy you a ticket to watch this. And we're asking anybody that wants to donate to help buy somebody a ticket. You can do that at the badroman.com slash fundraiser. Send us $15 and we'll put it towards somebody to be able to watch this documentary. If there's any money left over, we'll just give that money to charity like we do with all of our donations. So that would be really cool if you guys want to help out in any way, because there's so many people I know in my own personal life that need to see this you might know somebody that needs to see this and you can show it to them, or maybe you just want to get the documentary for them to watch as well. So please, please reach out to us and, and we'd be happy to get them connected to it in any way we can. But Brian, won't you plug anything you want to plug? Hey, I want you all to watch the postcards from Babylon documentary. That's, that's, that's <laughs> what I'm talking right now. Good answer. <laughs> where can we find that at david where we can find any of the information at on this documentary yeah well, we can send you a link that you could uh put up but it's basically live.postcardsdoc.com is the site where you can watch the trailer you can buy tickets um, if you scroll to the bottom you can even buy bulk tickets down there we have had a couple of pastors reach out and say they would like to get tickets and then kind of like what you're doing, offer it to people in their congregations that may not be able or just interested in paying the money. But if they get a free ticket, they would check it out. .postcardsdoc.com. If you just search my name, because I have an unusual name and I come up, I'll be first thing you'll get. And if you just go on you know, any of my stuff, Facebook, Twitter, especially Instagram, and just scroll back a little bit. You'll see, you know, I have the links posted there. So that's another way is just find my name, which is easy to find, and and uh, it'll be there. Yeah. So you can follow us on Facebook, just postcards doc, and we've got yeah a lot of followers. We've seen a lot of activity recently, and people that you know follow Brian and are interested in the project and and. We were going to be able to do promotion, paid promotion of the project on Facebook. That was going to be, along with our organic work, kind of the second leg of how we were going to market it. But because of what's going on politically, Facebook has shut down any politically oriented material that you're trying to boast, you know, to boost financially. Um, and for good reason, because of what's going on, because there's millions of dollars out there that would be just pumped into promoting um, 
all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories. So um, that was a big disappointment for us because that's, um, you know, with the way the matrix work on Facebook, you can really target people that have interest in certain topics. And so what we're really dependent on, that's why we appreciate you, Craig, is this kind of organic connection with, with audiences that resonate with these themes um, is really going to how, be how this film gets out there. Well, we're really happy to do it. Like I said in the beginning, this is something that's going to resonate with our listeners. It's something that falls perfectly in line with what we're doing with the Bad Roman Project. It's something that's our main focus has been the entanglement of the Christian with the state. And I think this is going to be perfect for everybody listening and people listening that might know somebody needs to see it. And I can only imagine how how much work went into this. I mean, you know, I can sit behind a mic for an hour and, and do a podcast, but doing something like what y'all are doing, I can't imagine just what, how, how much blood, sweat and tears was put into it. So I really appreciate all y'all's hard work for this. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And hundreds of hours. <laughs> yes, yes. But thank you, Craig, for all your support and encouragement and for allowing us to come on your podcast. We just appreciate that from the bottom of our hearts and for what you're doing to offer the tickets to people Indeed. who it would be a challenge to buy one. We greatly appreciate that. We're happy to do it. Like I said, it's an important message and I'm, I'm so thankful for what y'all are doing. But that being said, I'm gonna let y'all get out of here and you can enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Craig. Thank you very much. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Thank you.